0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly Din, Dilly come on.
1: It's a
2: sharing up. (laughs) I'm so (laughs) sorry. I will love it
1: if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Curnine. Joining us for this episode is Mark Bennett and Alan Keane. Really unique topic, this one. Alan is Great Britain basketball coach and he's worked alongside Mark and his PDS approach. Need-centered coaching, intervention, player reviews, some really interesting concepts and then the insight from Alan on how it's benefited both him and his team really interested to get your thoughts on this one at gary Kernine on instagram at gary cornean on twitter we've got content coming out almost every day during the break if you go to modernsoccercoach.com you can register for the daily chats we also have all the replays up there as well and some notes and some takeaways if you would like to support us during this time please please check out our shop Look at the special offers we have on coaching books. Really, really appreciate you doing that and really appreciate the support. Here is Mark and Alan. Enjoy. Alan, Mark, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really excited to have you
1: guys on. It's a pleasure, Gary. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity.
2: Yeah, thanks, Gary, for having us on. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, this will be good because a lot of
0: we're going to talk about uh, our buzzwords in the soccer community. And it's going to be great to get an insight, a different perspective and a little bit more depth, I think, in some of these topics. So player decision making, yeah. adaptability, um, I suppose where to start is and what is need centred and then why does it in- influence session planning?
1: OK, so I've spent 30 years developing um a system which is about making athletes in any sport effective decision makers, uh, being able to see what's in front of them, make decisions, review live based on choice execution and giving coaches the ability to get players more engaged, more self-thinking and interdependent. And in the last few years, the the words athlete-centered have popped out as a buzzwords. Um, but the challenge has been for me is when I've been watching people that say they do that, they're not doing that at all. They're just stood around asking questions, um, and that is not um, athlete-centered. So Alan and I had discussions, I've been mentoring Alan now for nearly 10 years, Um, and we've had discussions. So we came up with, well, Alan came up with, why don't we call it need-centered? Because need-centered is actually what is it we're doing. Um, So that's why we use the word need-centered. So it's about understanding where you need to go in your destination, what it looks like for you as a coach and for the players to play live in the way you want them to play and interact And then identifying what's needed in the moment to facilitate the development of the players, not just in their technical and tactical, but in their state, in their scanning, in their decision making, in their ability to accept feedback from each other and change and adapt live with what's in front of them. So that's why we call it need centred.
2: The only thing I'd add to that, Gary, really is I think Mark's covered it really well is my discovery was that, you know, within the teams I coach, everybody's at a different level. Nobody's the same. Um, they all have differences in terms of how they're made up as people, but they're also at different stages of their journey. So the only thing I would add to what Mark just said there is from a practical standpoint, when you go into a training session or you go into a competitive match, guy, all, all players I have on my teams are at different stages of their journey, their performance journey, their pathway, their experience, their inexperience. So I, me having to wear the same hat for every one of them, isn't always the most effective way. So you know the needs approach, as opposed to just the athlete centered approach, where we can brand them all with the same brush. I felt like the needs centered approach was a bit more, uh, more what it needed to be for each individual.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a frustration of mine in recent years has been that obviously the st- the studies and the information we're getting exposed to a lot of it is. I suppose, theory-based and coming from textbooks that make it a little bit more difficult whenever you're you're going on the pitch and you're delivering. Uh, whenever you do go on the pitch and reality hits you and you've got the same players that answer this the questions and the same players dominate group huddles, how do you manage that there to try and get everyone involved?
1: Well, it's... It- it's a it's a process of development, but the process of development must come from the coach's um, ability to, to scan and read what's going on and how to put the interventions in to shift that kind of behaviour. So if, if we break that down, I'd say what you just said there, Gary, is pretty much every team that you're looking at in a common frustration. The challenge we have is coaches allow that to happen and what we end up with is what we want is self-thinking and and players that can help each other be the best they can and learn and actually under pressure make great decisions but we end up with the old traditional coach-led coach but they're actually players they're the one and two players that always are telling the other players or telling the coach often they're learned answers anyway And the coach is just thinking, well, I'm getting the answer I wanna hear, so therefore it's great. And they're not connecting with, well, actually, am I developing the other players to actually give me some information that's connected with the action they just took, the choices they just made, Who's relevant to the situation we're discussing? And how do I get those players that are comfortable talking to the other players? And this is all that need-centered coaching, which is, and it links back to something I think I heard a, a webinar last week, and it was a football coach on there. Don't know who he, who he was. And he was saying, well, you can only be athlete-centered some of the time. There's times when you need to tell players and again, this is this misunderstanding, athlete-centered, if we're looking at that as need-centered, it's a full spectrum of coaching, knowing when to step in and tell, knowing when to stand back and do nothing in a direction, knowing when to do one-to-ones on the sideline with the engine players, although with other players, you're going, okay, so a great example is those players that always talk a lot, actually take them to the side and say, okay, Steve is a bit quiet, can you help me uh, bring Stevie up a bit so next time when you come in a huddle you stand next to Stevie and ask Stevie what he thinks based on the situation and then we can start using them to start sharing that information so it's just understanding A player is a player based on their past and their background and their personality out of sport but that's not who potentially they are so what we've got to look at is how skilled and confident and competent are we as a coach in a scan to identify the different players we have make sure is what they're saying correlated what actually happened and also how can i have the skills to influence the players that i want to be sharing information not just when we come together in a group but actually live on the pitch, because the reality is we don't want players to tell us the answer. We want players to show us the answer, then effectively reflect on the choices they made in their adaptation to the opposition. So it's very different than just, I've heard the answer one off one or two, job done, tick box, move on. So it's a very different framework, and it's based on coach competencies to understand how to influence player behaviors beyond the technical and the tactical.
0: Um, in your in your world of basketball, you know and in, in my opinion you, you've got the coach in the huddle which's doing the team talk or the timeout um drawing up the plays does that become a challenge to try and i suppose reprogram players to take a little bit more ownership and a bit more be a bit more vocal in those situations
2: yeah it certainly does and it's it's very much a, a patience game but you know also being relentless with the process and I think where my strength lies now, Gary, is I've just become very, um, very solid and sound on my feet with, with what I'm doing with these with these concepts and principles, uh, the PDS system in effect. Um, whereas a couple of years ago, I found it cha- I found I found it a lot more challenging to stay true to it because you are tested and you are pushed away from it by players, particularly pro players who've come to your team having experienced other coaches and maybe a more traditional form of coaching. You're very much tested by those guys in terms of they want you to to coach the way they've always been coached because it's it's what they're used to. So I very much have to take a player out of his comfort zone, let's say, um, and and get him to understand the value of me trying to develop a self-sufficient athlete player who can, you know, make decisions for himself under pressure and then kind of unpick what let's work backwards. So that would be the ideal us I'd show him what the ideal player is. Or ask him and they very much tell you and then kind of work backwards from there and what those steps would look like and on the build up to this so it's a lot of time invested away from the court actually Gary but going back to the timeouts in in terms of selling the value or getting to understand the benefit of me not solving every problem for you on the court and then there's a stepping stone process to that like you know I don't just go in at the deep end in the timeout when it's you know in September and, and the guys are with me for the first time and just say, right, boys, what do you think? You know, and we'll go in that direction. But very often, you need to guide it as well and and give it a bit of more support than just um, throwing them in the deep end. But a very simple solution to the timeout, Gary, I'll share, which is very simple. Um, you're absolutely right. You know, the traditional thing is, you know, you come into a timeout and the coach just offloads on the players, and it could be an emotional response or it could be just an, a tactical overload. Um, but it, it, a real simple solution to that is I call a timeout in the game. Players come in, sit down give them 10 seconds, give them their time to to breathe, relax, get seated. And I just say to them, boys, why do you think I call this time out? Straight away, you've just overcome the barrier of me problem solving, giving you the solutions, potentially berating. So it helps me manage my emotional state if I'm getting a bit rattled. It allows me to take a deep breath by just saying to them, guys, why do you think I call this time out? What's, What's your thoughts? They will very often say stuff that's you know very, very good and very rich and very useful actually, when you go back on the courts. and then if and if you flip it in the opposition call the timeout, another simple solution is, All right, boys, why did they call the timeout? So now they're having to self analyze, analyze themselves, analyze us as a team. And then you know if you if you want to get to beyond the behavioral stuff to where we would always talk about commitment first and foremost, and we'll unpick that a little bit later on, that process and that order. Um, you very much get them talking about problems, how to solve problems, and it's very collaborative and, and, and interactive. Changing rooms at halftime is the same, very similar process.
1: Gary, could I just add something for that as well? I'll put it into a football context, is we want players to be able to self-review, not on the sideline, live in a game, but we don't formally teach players how to self-review, and it's a skill so we we're providing expectations but we're not providing them learning opportunities to better understand a simple framework to help them see the options they they had the choice they make and their commitment to it their execution and be able to evaluate very quickly the choice and the execution separately so then when they come in instead of us trying to just chuck loads of questions out there we can just go okay guys Every time when I blow the whistle when you come in, this is in practice an example, I want you to split into these groups, it could be four groups, could be two halves from one half, or could you just have two sides. I'm gonna give you 20 seconds. I purely want you to review what we agree in our non-negotiables of behavior, which we can talk about in a bit, and what we agreed what success was for this phase of the session. So very simple. So then you give them 20 seconds. You haven't given them a lot of time. So they have to get to the point. And you're just scanning. You're not stepped in there. You're deliberately outside. And you're just scanning who's talking, who's relevant. Are they sticking to the point? Then they come into you. Then you nominate players. You don't let anyone talk. Stevie, what have you got for me? And it's the... Principle of player first, player last. So we're still asking about the process. Okay, how are you on the success? Did you know the behaviors? What were the choices? What would you change if anything? And then you can link it through. So we're always then finished with player last in that thing, okay guys. So what are you going to do now? What are you going to show me? Because you've just given me a conclusion that something you wanted to change. So what are you going to do? And then they, they tell you, then then they show you. But the other point is, which a lot of coaches don't really get is if players come in, they haven't made the adaptation or done what you want them to do, but they come in and they tell you the right answer of what was wrong, what they should have done right. Some coaches really like that because they go, well, that's great. They give me the answer I want. What the coach should be asking them is, okay, when did you recognize that? And why didn't you do something about it then? Because I don't want you to tell me the answer. I want you to show me the answer and literally just push them back out. So we're getting the players to understand we have to teach them a review process, but we want them to understand, I want you to do this live. I want you to see what's in front of you and make choices without fear and just commit to them. And that's something we can review as opposed to the same old questions, the same old answers that don't reflect the actions the players are actually doing, if that makes sense.
2: Can I add something there, please? Absolutely, Absolutely. I mean, from a practical sense and a practical point of view, it's very easy for me in, in the basketball world because you have these timeouts, you know, five timeouts per half. But actually, if we now cross it over into another team sport, like say soccer, for example, or rugby, um, what we do with our assistant coaches could very much be the same principle. Mark talked about there sniping the player that's on the sideline in a practice session, getting them to review live while the, while the action's going on, and then they give you the, they, they give you the the review, and you send them in there and say, "Show me." It, in a foot, in a soccer world or, or American football or, or rugby you know you, our assistant coaches the coaches in those worlds could do exactly what our assistant coaches do during our game which is sniping the players on the sideline so a players about to come into the game a subs about to come into the game you are, what you'll see is our assistant coaches doing a hot review with him straight away about right what's the success criteria what are you going to do what's it going to look like when you go into court right now and then they and then you that's that's their that's their focus narrowed. Sub comes out of the game or a player has been sitting for a period of time or assistant coaches very often just get up and go down and snipe them. When I say snipe, I mean it not in an attacking way. I mean it in a very healthy way. And it, it, it's basically just asking them to review. So cognitively, the players can are, are never really switched off that much. So you're really sharpening their thinking skills, which enhance their decision making ultimately when they're on the court or on the field of play. But I think it, can, it crosses over into all sports because you don't have to wait for a sub to do it. The player could be sitting on the bench and, you know, every five minutes you get up, go down to them, right, bang, tell me what you're seeing, Johnny. Okay, if we were to put you in the game right now, what would you do differently, if anything? And, and you have those type of quick discussions, sharp discussions, and it keeps the players alert and very in tune with what's going on, which ultimately helps them to perform better when they get on the pitch.
0: So when I was in Baltimore a couple of months ago for the convention, Mark, I met Alan, uh, Maryland United, who was delivering a session that evening. And he was saying that it was a lot of work that you guys were doing. You came over and did a a weekend. I I watched the session and and obviously it's different. So I've seen, and I I didn't get a chance to talk to him afterwards, but we were just exchanging messages on text notes. Uh, What I was keen is understanding as a coach, these interventions, how do you establish or analyze if they were effective
1: or not? So there's two key things to this. And it's, it's, it's a great question, Gary, is, we don't know if a practice session was successful in that session. And the reasons why we don't know, how, whatever systems we use and how a great coach we are, we don't know because it. what you see is based on short-term recall. It would be something you've just talked about. It's something that you may have shared before, had a chat before, it's relevant, it's specific. So there often can just be recalling the information of whatever the relevant conversation has been. The only time we know if that was effective is in a a following session or two sessions time, we do what I call covert recalls. And the covert recall is we do not chat to them beforehand. We don't start asking questions, remember what we did last week, whatever it might. We simply, after the warm-up, throw them into a game type situation. And we put it, we may manipulate the environment a little bit so there's more opportunities for them to choose the learning that we went on two sessions ago our last session and apply it so what we're looking for is now a covert recall with me not reminding them i'm just stepping back and watching in gameplay have they recalled what we worked on and are they applying it at a level of acceptability that i've worked out from that previous session now often what will happen is when people start doing this early on is you will not get the recall often the reason for that is is because we've tried to help them too much in the session by shouting, reminding, Gary, go left there, Stevie, that's great, come in here. We're, so what we're doing is we're, instead of them actually learning and thinking for themselves, we're helping them too much. The other thing that can happen is we cover too much content in one session, so they can't recall it anyway, or they don't see value in it because we haven't spent time challenging them. Why are we doing this? How's it gonna help them in the game? Give me an example. We tell them, and we hope they're engaged. Well, they could be totally switched off, not getting it. So the recall is poor. So the reality is, if the majority of the team are unsuccessful in the covert recall, that's your thought as a coach, not the players. So then you can evaluate. Okay, if it's a cross, what is it I did that I need to change? So now you can start evaluating what you did there and what could have caused it. Clearly, then you have to adapt the session you're in. Well, didn't work. We're ready when we're ready. We are where we are. And then you go for another covert recall. So all the time what you're doing is I need to measure how effective I am as a coach because I don't have much time. Even pro teams, you know, games every week, sometimes with cups two, three times a week, sometimes what we've got to make sure is if we're investing time with the players in the session, I need to make sure I know it was an effective session. And I cannot know that in the session. I can only know that by the covert recall. Interestingly, when you start doing this as a coach, it consciously changes the way you deliver a session because now you're thinking, I've got to step back in this session that because they've got to start thinking for themselves and making decisions because if they don't, I'm going to fail in the covert recall. So, so one, it's objective. You can have an audit of success, which builds confidence for them and you for game time. But also it's the it's check for how well your coaching is, if that makes sense. Alan, where where have you
0: seen growth over the last few years in yourself doing like how do you get better at this? Or how do you know you got
2: better at it? It's kind of ironic what I'm going to say, Gary. I've got I've got better and I've I've had growth by doing less. And and let me unbox that because it sounds horrendous. But I mean, Mark just touched off it there. And I guess I can sum it up for you by sharing a, a quick story. Um, where Mark, I hope you don't mind me sharing this when you took the national team practice. It really emphasizes that less was more, but not less in terms of less because we want to do less, but players were more successful with less. So Mark took a national team session for, for, for us the very first weekend I, I worked with Mark and, you know, I was really out of my comfort zone allowing him to do it. But I thought, why not? Let's just go for it. And uh, to make a long story short, Gary, he rounded up the players. He asked them, what is critical for you to perform at your best? What are the one, two, or three things that you can't go without right now if we play for five minutes that would help you to perform at your best as an individual and as teams? They came up with two or three things like uh, boxing out every single time, setting contact on screens, and uh, rebounding, I think, was one. Uh, Rebounding was definitely one anyway. And, you know, our communication was one. And Mark said, okay, well, I'm going to stop you as soon as you drop the low line of unacceptable. And they defined between them what acceptable and unacceptable was for all three areas what that actually looked like as well as unacceptable as well as acceptable. And he set them off and, you know, he set them a a challenge basically I call it a timed moment of excellence. How long can you maintain these standards, you know, and and, and to get to the end of the story pretty quick, there was more engagement. It was actually quite deflating for me on one hand, but on the other hand, it was really energizing and quite exciting for me to see where he took him. Now, Mark doesn't know the rules and regulations of the game as well as, a basketball coach would. He'd not coached basketball ever before, let alone played it. So I'm ass- that's a gross assumption, Mark, that you haven't played the game. But um, my message is this, Gary. That session was more engaging, had more growth, and the players enjoyed it more than the previous 18 to 24 sessions I had taken that summer. And we were heading off to the European Championships the following week. Now, my message is this, to answer your question. My growth has come about by actually... Peeling back what we've done, and not not overanalyzing, like not putting in too much content. Peeling the content back, and really getting the players to understand the value of their behavior. And what I mean by behavior is Mark spoke about already the level of commitment they make to it, to every single choice they make on the court. And I'm not talking success with with technical tactical execution. I'm um, The only thing I'm assessing first is how much did you fully commit to the choice you made? Not not interested in whether that choice was the right or wrong choice from a tactical standpoint, but from a behavioral p- point of view, which is commitment, how much did you commit to it? And just being kind of um, being firmer on my feet with that. And where I've fallen down this year, Gary, and Mark's been there to pick me back up because this, this stuff is tough. I have to tell you, it's really, it's really, really difficult to keep it alive and live it on a daily basis in your training sessions, in your games. And Mark's support has been invaluable this year for me, be it over the phone. Um, but I have fallen down on that because I've allowed players off the hook and I've probably allowed them to get away. I haven't probably I've allowed them to get away with it at times. So my biggest growth is actually I still study and I still review the tactical stuff and the technical details, and I'm still growing as a coach and want to grow as a coach, as a technical tactical um, coaching. my knowledge and ability to transfer. But the biggest growth is my ability to step back, scan, to observe what am I truly seeing? Um, setting up situations where they where, where I'm checking their short and long-term recall. Um, so that's been most of my growth, really, Gary, in a nutshell.
0: Let's talk about that scanning element that you talked about, because I've seen, Mark, I've seen the, the social media, the, the pictures of the coach delivering the session with the camera
1: on them. What are you looking for during those moments? So the reason why before I start with any, it's been 30 sports now across the world that I've worked with over the last 30 years is I want, it's not just me understanding the baseline and scanning the coach's behavior and the players. I need the coach to be on the same page. The only way that's going to happen is the coach being really aware accurately about how they coach, when they step in, when they don't, what they're seeing in the moment. So the camera on the chest is the first thing I do with any coach I'm working with. I'm really honestly interested in understanding how they coach the way they do and why but i want them to share their reflection based on what they think they're doing and and now they watch the video back and hear themselves what they're actually doing and the reason why is although the big cameras in the corners are great they give you the big overall picture what they're not giving you is what you see in the moment so if we're reviewing the coach i want the coach to reflect on what did you see when you were communicating and and what choices were you made what interventions did you make and when you decided to talk how you talked what you said what was the interaction like were what was were Perry still walking away when you were still talking all these little things so they work through it they look at the video first of themselves they take time notes they send that to me i look through the video as well i put my notes and then we have a discussion And all that's to do with, it's just establishing where we are and agreeing and and being inquisitive on why you did those things. Often coaches, when they do it, it's very uncomfortable when they watch themselves because the common one is, oh my God, I talk so much. You know, I'm kind of giving them the answer, but it's fine. We're just establishing where we are. And then what we do is we get them to understand where they want to be, what type coach they need to be, not in this holistic, great word stuff, which I think is a bit nonsense is what does it look like? Can you show me in a practice? Can you show me in a game? Is there any differences? What's the difference between a learning practice session when it's a new skill and a high pressure situation when it's live and you're testing their competences when you put the pressure on? You know, do you need a change in your coaching? And obviously the answer is yes, but often it's, I haven't really thought about how I need to change. And now I'm aware I want the players to think more because the game's moving in that direction now. I'm struggling to know when to step back and when to step in, because I want them to think for themselves, but I kind of want to fix the problem for them so quick. And I'm so used to helping them. I'm realizing I'm helping them too much now. And I'm not comfortable, one, when to step in and when to step back and also what to do when I step in, because I don't want to just give them the answer. So this is all understanding the baseline first and that's why you'll see so many pictures with with the camera on and it's also understanding what scanning is and this is giving coaches a real simple framework and I can share this with you gary is the understanding of scanning scanning is is as important for the players as it is for the coaches um uh, the the male male and the women in the world cup of the soccer both teams if you watch the games back weren't great at scanning Scanning should be for a player is constantly looking for opportunities and threats. And if we simplify the game, a player is in three pos- position points. They either have the ball, or they don't have the ball, or someone else has the ball. I, your team does not have the balls, or so the opposition may have it, or maybe a free ball. So you've got to understand what's excellence to you when you have the ball what is excellence to you now you don't have the ball but your team does and what is excellence for you when your team does not have the ball doesn't mean say the opposition's got it It could be an open ball and often what we find is players aren't realizing the connection with in order for me to make a choice before i receive the ball my best bet is to scan and look for opportunities threats the whole time so there it's allowed me to stay in the present and make good choices of okay if i get the ball i've got an opening here i see a space over here or Or actually, I can see someone trying to curve around the back of me and catch me out. So by the time you receive the ball, you've already got some data. It's allowing you to make a better decision quicker, as opposed to the ball's coming. Oh, let me look where the options are. Now, if we relate that to coach, what we want the coach to understand is I'm looking for that because we've agreed that with the players, but also I'm looking for the transition. And this is a weak link, particularly in soccer, rugby is very similar, hockey is often what we'll find is the player's got the ball and they're engaged and then they release the ball either passing it whatever they may be doing and then they go into this cruise moment when actually they're not they're not excellence back in one of the other two options they're kind of daydreaming for a bit and what we want to say to them is look you need to be in one of those three options if you're not in one you're not an added value to the team So now I want the coach to scan for those opportunities as well. So if we base what we're asking for the coach to scan, I'm I'm asking the coach to identify the source of a problem if there is one, and also identify something exceptional because we want to connect with that with the players as well. First thing always is, is I want a coach to scan for behaviors as in state of the player. Is the player engaged? Are they in the present? Or are they in a negative downward spiral? Or are they a bit disengaged? They've just lost the ball or someone scored, and now they're in a negative down. They've disagreed with the ref. They're now lo- no longer in excellence. They're no longer in what the greed is good behavior. That will affect their scanning. So now, instead of being open, looking for opportunities to your threats, they've closed in. They're not seeing things. So now, the problem with that is, they're not going to make effective choices because their scanning is poor, so they haven't received the data. So then on the choice, we're looking at their commitment and their execution of the choice they make. So if we think about it, often what coaches trip up on is they're looking at the outcome, and now they backtrack purely to the choice of the execution. And they, they actually, their intervention is a technical or tactical. Often, and 90% of the time, the problem of the source can be in the choice, lack of scanning, or the state which is negatively impacting the scanning. So often we don't put the energy in our intervention to fix in the right spot because we haven't identified the source. This is, this is why scanning is so important and so mentally challenging for many coaches.
2: The uniqueness of, of the PDS approach in terms of coach support, I feel is very much the emphasis put on the emotional state um, of, of coaches and players like if you think of all the coaching courses you've been on, or any the CPD we've done, and and we've done hundreds and hundreds of it down through the years, and I've gone all the way up to PhD level with this in terms of sports coaching, no one's ever pointed me in the direction of how I uh, brought to my attention the the importance of managing your emotional state as a coach, and more importantly, even if it has been said, nobody has really given me an intervention or a tool or a way to manage my emotional state, and now how to help players manage their emotional states so then you can go on and do be a more effective scanner, be a better decision maker, be a better problem solver, be a better teammate in bringing the rule of three to life and and those different interventions. I think this is the uniqueness, and it's just come to my head as Mark was talking. This is the incredible uniqueness of, of the PDS way, that it is heavily reliable on you developing your emotional control, especially under pressure and performance, especially on game day.
0: Aspect of, of self-reviewing and getting players and yes. training players to self-review. Why, why is it so critical in the modern game?
1: Well, if, if you ask any um, coach uh, that's looking at, okay, what, what's the dream of the type team? They will all answer. I want a team that can adapt live and make great decisions live and commit to them, can adapt to the opposition quicker than anyone else, relentlessly. Because, you know, it's like anything, a, a a coach can have a game plan and he can say, right, I want you to do this, do this. We can look at scouting reports, say, with well, the opposition or this particular vendor trait is this, this goal, trait is that. But the reality is, on the day, they can do something different and change injuries, change the dynamics of a team, etc. So we want players to be able to live make great decisions not just as an individual, as a team. And if I give you an example, what I mean by that, because it's an important element, particularly on performance teams, um, If if I give you a rugby example, George Ford, um, England rugby player, I've known George since he was six, been uh, working with his dad, Mike Ford, who's a a British Lions England rugby coach. Um, For about 20 years, I've worked with Mike. So I've known his son since about six, seven years old. And one of the things George is very, very good at is he recognises with the people either side of them, he understands, although he's really, really sharp and visionary at seeing things, he sees them quicker than many of his teammates. So he's got to be mindful of when he stood next to the guy next to him and he's reading and evaluating a game. If he sees an opening and he's got a, a dart, a little kick through because there's a line break there, he's got to recognize, is the guy to my left at me quick enough and seeing the same as me where he can exploit that opportunity? Because if he can't, I'm not going to. I'm not going to exploit that choice. I might do a drop-off pass to him. So it's understanding that we want players, one, to be able to say, right, I need to review myself. I What am I doing? The choice I made, the execution. I nailed it. It just didn't come off, so I'm going to do the same next time. Or actually, I committed, but it was a choice thing. Next time, I'm going to be doing this live continually. But I've also got to recognize, when my teammates are around me, what is the best choice that I can do based on my teammates around me that's going to get the best out of them? To exploit the opportunity and often this is a this is a missing element that coaches one don't think about but secondly don't raise the awareness to the players around them that the whole point is we play as a team so to play as a team i want you to be able to self-review yourselves based on right what are my options bang i'm going to commit to this one once i commit to it Then I review live. Okay, was that the right choice? Would I change anything? No. Great choice. Execution, bang. Need to come in a bit wider there. Foot stance, whatever it is. But it's a quick split second thing. The beauty of it is uh, you can, within three, four weeks, Very very quickly, and I've done it with five six-year-olds. Get them to think this way. The beauty of it is, is it's the same questioning framework. When you ask them to review on one-to-ones or into the group, is based on okay. So what do we say success was? What were the choices? What did did you see? Okay, talking about your execution. What would you change if anything? So because we're using the same language all the time, it's allowing players a safety framework to get them to come up with the answers that they need, but also. It's given the confidence of the players around them either side that they are not getting emotionally caught up and they are recognizing the choices in the execution if not they can give feedback to the players either side and we develop an environment where they have to accept feedback from their teammates by a hand touch or a thumb up the base of the acknowledgement acceptance and action the three a's so what we're saying there is i've reviewed me but i've also reviewed our team and recognizing we're missing width on the side jimmy's coming in and they're catching him out so jimmy hasn't recognized it so i'm reaching out to jimmy they're catching out on width there stay wide on the right now what we want jimmy to is acknowledge inside accept and then acknowledge thumb up or hand up to the close and then act on it now i'm because i've spoke to him i'm looking for have i seen the acknowledge if not i'm going to follow it through i've seen the acknowledgement now looking for okay let's show me the act on it so now we can see a dynamics of not just self-reviewing framework, but now as a coach, I'm scanning for, has someone, or that person's unacceptable within the choice that we've pre-agreed. They've missed something. Are they putting their thumb up or saying something to one of their teammates to recognize it? Great, carry on. Let's look at the opportunity to see if they do change. If not, I'm looking for one of his teammates. As a teammate's reached out and said something, I haven't seen the acknowledgement. Yes, I have. Great. Now, if I haven't, now... I can step in in little a one-to-one even they're running back jimmy talks to me there our uh, width coach no problem bang if he's not getting it then that's right that's a learning thing for me that that player has not understood has not seen i need to do some intervention so can you see now very very simply that the type player we want and the type team we want revolves around as alan said the state the scanning, the choice, the execution of the choice, and importantly, their ability live to review the choice and the execution quick and move on. And this is the defining difference between the best teams and the average teams. It's not so much the technical
2: and tactical. Mark, can I, Mark, can I add two points really quickly to what you just spoke on uh, that will add some context? You know, in terms of, you asked a moment, Gary, why is it important for players to be able to self-review? I'll give you two practical examples that I've I've discovered with my experiences. Number 1, when I have when I have facilitated my sessions and teams to to self-review and to do it honestly and openly and feel safe to do it, they have told me stuff that's been more beneficial than than any other thing that I could have come up with because they're seeing and feeling the action on the floor. So very often they'll come to the timeout and I'll ask them what are you seeing what are you feeling? I'll ask them to self-review in effect, and the information they give back to me actually helps me to coach better. So on one hand, that's a massive plus and a massive advantage of players being able to self-review honestly and feel safe to tell you their real true feelings. The second thing I want to say is, you know, players want to talk. Players want to have a voice. They want to have a choice to to a point. And, And the reason I'm saying this to you is I delivered a clinic a couple of years ago. Um and in preparation for the clinic, I just reached out to to um, a range of players who've played on the national team from under 16, 18, 20s, right up to seniors, and one in particular had played at the Olympics. And the common trend of the feedback I was getting from them when I asked them, what do you guys value most in a coach from the experiences you've had? And the the common trends were were stuff like we you know, the, we we want an honest coach who trusts the players. We want uh, we want a coach to let the players uh, problem solve, solve problems some of the time. We want coaches who are willing to step back and relinquish control and accept ideas from players so if players are asking you for the the, the, the freedom to express and share and, and give ideas then that goes a long way towards actually having a healthy environment so I just wanted to give you two real life reasons, there are practical reasons I've experienced of the importance of players being able to self-review or facilitating that.
0: Last few now. Just as we wrap up, uh, group reviews were well, something again we at a webinar on this yesterday and Natalie Henderson delivered it and it, it got a great response about units and bringing them out after games and how to speak to them. I mean, what should they look like? I suppose from a from a e- efficiency, effectiveness,
1: Well, we use a, a framework that actually goes beyond just the session we use uh, whatsapp or slack groups where the players are in that slack group or the whatsapp group coaches have a separate one that i'm in both of them so if we look to the practice what we're looking at is at the end of every practice what we want them to do is we want them to one self-review first there's a three-phase review review self individually then review teammates and then review coach based on behaviors and then whatever the work-ons was. So every player, once they become self-aware, they'll have an individual work-on that won't change every session, it'll be an ongoing, normally behavior-led, um, driving, it, it may be just committing to choices or scanning, it may be not being negatively influenced by um, a poor decision or, or actually concluding and reaching out after everything that they feel didn't go right, so not getting caught up in the outcome, whatever it is. So we just asked them to review about self-them, then their teammate and then coach. Coaches do the same. They they do the same review, whether ask yourself first, other coaches and the team. And we use this for a few reasons. We use it in what we call a hot review, which is immediately straight away. And we do it after games as well. The information that's giving us is in the emotions of the game and how they saw the game went. How are they feeling now? In the state they are, what is their evaluation? The cold review is they've had a chance it might be a day later or after watching the video. But it's definitely a, once you're now in a reflective state, you're not caught up in the emotions of the session. Now I'm asking exactly the same question. Sell first, other players, coaches, same process with the coaches. Sell first, other coaches and, and players. And what we're seeing there is, are there any differences? Now, we do this if in the WhatsApp group. They can do that live and in the WhatsApp group they drop that in there. So the players do the same. The coaches can read all the players. Now, what this does is initially, you'll just have players, well, I'll just tell coach what they want to hear. But soon, very quickly, you'll start to use what I call the ninjas. They're the influencers, and we spend a lot of time on them, which we can't talk about in this session. But we do Ninja Mastery, where we identify the influencers and upskill them to help influence the others. So they almost become need centres, coach, supporters. And what we get them to do is ask them to make sure that they're sharing some real honesty then the other players will watch for the reaction from the coach now what it's giving is it's giving some real individual information about what they thought how they felt about them and the other players and coach and now what importantly the coach needs to take that information they may be having a little one-to-one, or actually go, I saw there was a trend you picked up on this, you weren't sure or comfortable about the defense we were using, let's look into that. Is there a different way we want to work? That's going to build you more confidence, doing your work on it, or it's an individual work on. I just want to have a chat to you about that. Um, On my website, there's a St. Ignatius baseball team that I worked with in the States a few seasons ago. And one of the players shares this about the hot and cold reviews, exactly the question you've asked me there. And one of the things that, that was really good, he said, if the if we come up with something even an idea of how we should play or what we should do in practice the coaches can disagree but they they quantify why but at the same time if the players come up with an idea that the coaches haven't thought out as a different the coaches will take it on and if it's an idea they think they can work with then they'll embrace and they'll take it on so it's it's getting the players to understand now although the coach is in charge it's an integrated interdependent relationship. And they're, they're honestly interested in the feedback of every session and every game. It's not just waiting for the coach to give them some feedback. So that's that's the framework how we do. Alan does it with his team. I, they're in a WhatsApp group, meet the coaches, and I ask them every every game and certain pre-agreed practices. They put themselves, junior coach goes first, head coach goes last, same framework. And I'm, I'm as a mentor, doing the same as the coaches are doing to the players. Do you want to share that, Alan?
2: Yeah, I mean, what will what happen after every game, um, Gary, I, I'll, I'll explain how it works with Mark and then how it works with the team. After every game, we the players ha- have been shown how to do it, I guess, in one way, and we, we've, again, had to sell the value of them being honest. And, you know, when they get past that, you know, introduction phase of this is all new to them, and they understand that they're actually safe, that this is this is something that the coaches require for them to grow and get better and you share that those those um thoughts with the players you know the feedback you get from them is really rich so how it works is after we finish each game you give them some breathing space you know they'll go away they'll stretch take a shower but pretty much soon after that some will do it before they shower actually you know it's quite interesting how 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 you how quick you get it sometimes from guys and why there could be different reasons we don't really need to get into because i think it's a rabbit hole of a discussion but um players will put in that group what their thoughts are their own self self um review so how they performed um and it, the behavior will confer so players will turn around sometimes and say yeah i felt like i didn't make good choices but i felt like i fully committed to those choices and i'll have to review them later during the week but i'm happy with the level of commitment i made to every action I, I chose to chose to make on the court then they'll review the team how the team performed overall And they'll refer it back to what our non negotiables are first and foremost. You know, our non negotiables were very simple. The guys came up with we want to be a team that commits every time. We want to to be a team that communicates effectively every time. And we want to make sure, regardless of our emotional state, that we always offer our hand to our teammates at at every opportunity. So positive touches was the third one. So they'll very often review the non negotiables first. And then it will go down the line of their performance uh, on the court kind of thing in terms of some will get into the tech tack a little bit later on in the years it goes on. And then the last thing they review is the coaches. So my performance as a head coach, and then I have two assistant coaches. They'll talk about their performance. So with that, they might say to me, "Well, coach was very emotional down the stretch, and it didn't help us to solve the problem." Or I thought coach was very was was really on it tonight, in control of his emotions from start to finish. Um, I found his energy very calming, which helped me to stay emotionally balanced. I've had that type of communication before, and then they'll talk about the assistant coaches. Um, yeah, Kieran and Dan were really good in um in reviewing me as soon as I came out again, you know. And they they you know, they stuff like that. So they 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 review our roles really well. And it gets better as the season goes on because they get better at that skill set of reviewing themselves, others, and the coaches. And then I go through the same process with Mark. So Mark, um, my two assistant coaches and myself, we would have a, a separate group and Mark would would, you know, sometimes I forget and or sometimes I'm a bit emotional after a loss and you know, the time won't be long gone by where Mark will be bumping me on the text message. All right, boys, you ready for your reviews? Because we haven't put them in. And, you know, we had to get to a point where Mark reminded us a few times and then it became, right, look, you need to be on this if you're going to do it. If not, let's not do it. So there's a level of accountability once you buy into it and once you commit to it, then you have to fulfill it regardless of the score, regardless of the outcome or the challenges you had in that game. But for me, Gary, I'll sum it up by saying it's been a game changer for me personally to unpick our performances and to keep that process and that order of, of things we review very simple. A framework, it's a really good framework. But it's also, I, I, what I've learned from the players is it's a really good framework for them to actually unpick what the reality of what happened and not just go off in an emotional um, state complaining about referees or different things that might happen in the game. So that framework has really worked well for us. And I do it with all our teams from Academy Under-19 I know our club under 12 and under 14 coach was doing it with those guys and it was really rich stuff and really good. And I've done it with the national teams every summer as well.
1: And we haven't mentioned the scoreline, Gary, because they are not allowed to review against the scoreline. Not interested on the win or the loss. We're interested in the behaviours of choice and the performance. So even uh, top level uh, teams, fully pro teams, when we even do the, the match review the next day, Um, the scoreline isn't discussed it's all about working through the what you saw the choices you made the commitment to the adaptation all the way through the review and it's player led not coaches doing it coaches are at the back listening they've done theirs groups of players are nominated and they do all the video analysis and they stand up and present
0: Uh, okay last one Kind of what you were talking about there, Alan, about how difficult and how challenging. It's not easy. Like, how difficult is it for a coach to shift their own coaching style? What support structures do you think that are are critical in this process?
2: Well, I'll start it off by saying, for me, it took one session, and um, but I it, it took one session, but I I needed support and guidance with that, and I was blessed and lucky that Mark came into uh, the school I was working at the time. I was running a basketball program there. And he came in, and we we just worked on one basic thing. Um, he talked me through it. He modeled it. I and, and I mean, we sat down, had a great conversation about you know some of the stuff we're talking about now, actually. Um, so that could so he brought it to life in my head first, and you know it, it it did it didn't take more than one session. But it I will say this, Gary, it didn't take more than one session because Mark was there helping me with that session to bring it to life. Um, and then like a week later, he came into the national team environment and spent two days with us. And that for me was the game changer because in that environment, we played Holland, uh, we played the Netherlands in uh, two games that weekend when he came into that camp and he sat on the bench with me. And that was tough. That was really tough because I was used to coaching a certain way, you know, fiery Irishman as Mark would call me, but I was used to coaching a certain way. And, uh, you know, he really helped me to reshape. How I coach to be more an effective coach for the players, and 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 it was very refreshing. So for me, it didn't take long. It took one session to answer your question very shortly, but to actually bring it to life and keep it alive, I'm ten years in, Gary, and I'm still. I'm very aware of when I don't get it right. I'm hyper aware of when I don't get it right because of the the frameworks I follow and the 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 the, the, the way I review. I'm very very mindful when I'm getting it wrong. But um, yeah, it didn't take long at all. Mark along, pick it a little bit more. I'm sure.
1: The two things are is having the skills as a mentor to get coaches to see the value of it, to break down the barriers, to get them to actually one. Yeah, I see the value in this and then their commitment to. Right. I need to change. And that's why we need to do that baseline filming. We can't be a discussion unless we was established fact, the challenge and the biggest challenge. And this is definitely in the last 15 years, at least. All my work has been on developing a supportive framework to support coaches and organizations in the change. The change is the most difficult, especially for pro coaches, semi pro, because everybody else, fans, bosses are often 99 percent of the time measuring you as a coach based on score lines and often in the short term. It's telling the players what to do, and you'll get a kind of fix off that. You'll get some sort of outcome, but it's stunting your growth and potential of the team where you want, want to go. So when a coach sees a value, there's a massive fear of, well, hang on, you know, I need to get through this content, or, you know, I need to get them to do this in this game. And it's it's getting there, giving the coaches of support and the backing ongoing to just give them that advice of well okay what can we definitely do now that's not going to negatively influence the game but actually can start making the steps so definitely practice is easier um, but again it's that ongoing support with the adherence elements where often mentors are missing but also then it's understanding there's a difference between game time and practice time so the the, the shift of a coach Will be easier in practice to look. Will be in game, and it's it's having mentors that understand that and empathic with it, but also pre-agree in the behaviour with the coach of what are they going to do, and let's review and reflect on your own individual focus points that we've pre-agreed between coach and mentor, and I think we let coaches down in this i don't think there's enough effective mentors out there that understand how to support change above the old let's have a cup of coffee and what would you like to talk about or the tech tack advice if we want to shift a, a team's behavior and we recognize the value of it we have to shift the coach's behavior but we have to do it over long-term support six months seven months it can take to really embed these behaviors under pressure that maintain it. And often you'll still regress back, but to think you can go on a course for a day or have a couple of weeks and you think magic's going to happen is very unfair on, on the coach because the coach is a human being. And if we ask the coach, how quickly can a player change in habits, they'll tell you it takes months. Well, it's no different for the coach. So that's been my learning journey over the 30 years is recognizing I wasn't getting it right and spending the last 15 years to really, come up with a package that can really have a positive and effective impact on the performance of the team through supporting the coach through their change.
0: Mark, Alan, thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Fantastic.
1: Thanks, Gary. No, no
0: thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned. Thanks, guys. All, all the best, guys. Thanks so much to Mark and Al for their time and insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I thought that was that was really, really interesting. Obviously, I've heard about mark and his work and i've heard from people that have used mark in terms of their coach education and also coming in with the mentoring as well so i've heard really really positive things to hear it uh from alan's perspective about a long-term approach and how this has helped him and his teams for for a few years i thought that was really fascinating actually because i do agree with mark towards the end where he's saying coach mentorship uh, we don't do enough for it, we we use one day or a coffee, we don't really challenge the coach and I would agree with that and I would also then agree with this whole concept of coaches making yourself uncomfortable, we ask our players all the time get comfortable being uncomfortable but as coaches we normally gravitate towards uncomfort or discomfort as Either a work rate, either we'll work an extra four hours a day or we'll sacrifice and be away from our families. And those are are uncomfortable moments, of course, and being under pressure is uncomfortable. But actually, like, testing yourself and testing the way you work and testing maybe the processes you have in place and the courage, as Alan was saying, to almost turn a training session over to Mark to come in and, and test what you're doing and having the the courage to do it and also having the awareness and the humility to maybe look at your players behavior in those circumstances and say all right i can take something from this here so i thought that was really really important and powerful and then obviously as you go deeper and deeper you can see the depths and the layers of the the detail of the processes that mark has implemented i think the player reviews and the feedback that's something that that's jumped out to me we've talked about it a lot on on podcasts and webinars over the past six months if we want to develop decision makers we're going to have to empower the players in some way shape or form to to talk and articulate and think about performance and think about practices rather than the coach just delivering uh, what it was what they learned uh, what level it was done at etc etc so i thought that was great really enjoyed that i would love to hear your thoughts at gary careen on instagram at gary careen on twitter as always thanks so much for listening thanks so much for the support stay safe and i'll speak to you soon goodbye
1: thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website
2: at www.modernsoccercoach.com.